I'm Valerie. Some of you also know me as Eruhar. Welcome to the debut of my new podcast, Heartstrings. We finally made it, you guys. I am so happy to finally bring this project out to the open after a long time conceptualizing, preparing, planning, all that stuff. But we're finally here and I'm so happy we are. And if it weren't without all of your enthusiasm, continued support, and just love throughout the last year over on my Twitch channel, I don't know that this would have ever happened. You know, I never necessarily saw myself making a podcast, but looking, you know, in in getting so much love from everyone about the idea, it prompted a little bit of self-reflection. And I found myself thinking about my rambly kind of tendencies over on my Twitch channel and the, you know, the deep, intense topics that we talk about that we, that we often, um, uh, sort of gloss over from a day to day. And, you know, I'm the kind of person where I like to give insightful input. I like to really carefully consider the discussion at hand really give it some thought and then actually give my honest input without fear. But with that quality, I think comes with the tendency to be rambly. And, you know, I, I figured, and it's perfectly natural to want to be rambly on a stream. And I think it's completely fine, but it's kind of difficult when you're focused on a specific activity at hand and, you know, no matter where you go with the discussion, you ultimately have to come back to where you started or come back to what you were doing. So I figured it would be the most appropriate to carve out some space for those extended discussions, those insightful uh, discussions, thoughts and opinions and things like that. And this season, it's going to be full of some really, really really spicy topics, a lot of really interesting uh, thoughts and opinions that I want to share and put out there. And I think it's going to be great. So I hope you all enjoy it. And I think on that note, I figured what better a way to start any show than to do a proper Q&A? Because I don't think we've ever actually done a thorough, proper Q&A. And I get so many questions all the time. And some of the questions I never really answer, (laughs) mostly because I think that there's time and place and there is a better time to address certain questions. And so I figured, why not just save it all for a proper Q&A? Now, you guys submitted a lot of really, really great, great questions, but I do only have so much time to give you proper answers to all of them. So I have a lot of really good questions that I'm ready to answer and um, I'm excited. So let's get started. So let's start off with, and obviously, you know, like I said, I would love to answer everyone's question, but it really comes down to time. I don't want to just glaze over your questions. Now, keep in mind in the future of the show, every episode, you can always submit your question to either the 
the uh, appropriate channel over on our Discord under the heartstrings section, but you can also send an email to heartstrings at arrowheart.com. That's heartstrings at arrowheart.com, and it's heartstrings spelled, you know, the, the, the unique spelling that the podcast has with the A, not the E-A in heart. Uh, so <laughs> you can send your anonymous questions there if you don't feel like posting it to the public. And um, yeah, let's get started. So the first question I have is from Diet. Uh, thank you for your question, Diet. And Diet asks, what are your top 10 video games? Now, this is a very, very good question, <laughs> but um, it's, you know, video games rank it. How about, th- let me put it this way. Ranking video games for me is a very tricky thing. I have a tendency to be rather indecisive when it comes to ranking my favorite types of things. I can definitely think about what I definitively like the most in some regards, but to rank everything like a top 10, I think would be a little bit complex and difficult for me. So rather than giving you the top 10, I will maybe give you like the top five. (laughs) We'll we'll do like a top five instead. I think that would be more appropriate uh, given the given just what I told you. So I, so I'll give you the top five and then we'll kind of dive into why each of those are in, in the top for me. I think, and some of you might, might know what's coming. <laughs> uh, definitely at the top would be Maple Story, which for those of you that don't, don't know is an online MMORPG published by Nexon. And you know, Nexon, if you're listening, hit your girl up. <laughs> You know, don't be shy. Don't be shy. Uh, It's an online MMORPG 2D side scroller. That's definitely number one for me. Um, And then there comes pretty much all of the Pokemon franchise video games just at a a glance. And uh, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, which I recognize is very, very niche. And I will talk more about that. Uh, I will also say Yu-Gi-Oh!, Um, But when I say Yu-Gi-Oh, I'm referring specifically to the card game. Now, I know the question is asking about video games, but we'll get to that in a second. (laughs) And then also uh, Animal Crossing, the franchise, pretty much all the video games that I've been exposed to in the Animal Crossing uh, world, uh, definitely for sure. And last but certainly not least is Overwatch. And Overwatch is one that I was a little bit hesitant to put on my list um but let's let's go let's go a little deeper uh into all of those games so starting with maple story maple story really is a game that hits really close to my heart because well for starters i've been playing maple story for 16 years 16 years about 16 years now and Maple Story was a game that sort of appeared in my life during a time where I really felt like I had nothing else and I had no sense of control, no sense of freedom, no sense of expression. And it was an online game that I felt ultimately represented the things that I wanted the most during that period of time in my life. And it gave me maybe not the closest friends, but certainly friends, uh, adventure, escapism, something to immerse myself in and express myself. It's a, it's an adorable, cute game 
uh, a social MMORPG. If you're not familiar with the genre, that's basically like an online, uh, massive online game with people interacting in real time and playing. And, um, and I still casually play it today, but uh, I'm a lot busier these days, so I don't have as much time to play. And I think video games just as a whole will definitely need their own episode because I could really spend so much time talking about the magic of video games and the way that video games are so relative and personal to the way that people seek them out and the benefits that people gain from playing video games. But Maple Story definitely sits at the top for me because it's such a sentimental connection that I have. But also, it's just so special. Um, it's so cute. There's a lot of character customization, so it yields a lot of possibilities for you to really express yourself. It's just a, a such a unique art style, such a unique game, and it really gives the player so much content to explore, so much possibilities to... Um, challenge yourself uh, and fight bosses, join guilds, have friends, talk with your friends, walk around, just just doing random things that you would, just doing activities you would normally do in an RPG. But Maple Story, I think, has a charm to it that ga- other games don't necessarily match up to, even to today, I think. But that's just my opinion. And um, I, you know, it's just, it really is one of those things where I don't know that I would be the person that I am today had it not been for a game like Maple Story, a place that I could call home uh, outside of home, you know. So definitely Maple Story at the top. And uh, going into the next game would be pretty much various games from the Pokemon franchise. Now, this one, to give you more specifics, um, I would definitely say my favorite game probably, probably, is Pokemon Crystal. Um, For those of you that are familiar with Pokemon as a franchise, I am a Johto girly through and through. So I love Johto. Pokemon Crystal was my very, very first game. It has, I have such a nostalgic uh, yearning uh, or just like a yearning overall for that feeling of joy that Crystal gave me as a child And um, it was such a special thing to look back on, even though the struggle was real. (laughs) Um, You know, playing on my Game Boy Color, sitting in like the corner of the couch, trying to capture the light. Because back then, the Game Boy Colors did not have any any built-in light for the screen. So you had to find, you know, a light source to be able to see what's on the screen. And um, it was just so, so amazing exploring Pokemon Crystal because they let you explore not just the Johto region, but also the Kanto region. So it was a very comprehensive uh, Pokemon video game. And to me, quite impressive uh, for what we had at the time. It was such a pleasant surprise to be able to have what felt like double the game in one game. And on top of that, my favorite Pokemon also happens to be the box uh, legend. It's not really traditionally a box legend, but it is a legendary Pokemon, and that is Suicune. Such an elegant, beauty, mystical Pokemon. 
and um, I really, really love Suicune. So Pokemon Crystal, but other notable Pokemon games that I love so, so much would definitely be Pokemon Emerald. Really, really great game that sort of redeemed uh, Ruby and Sapphire, at least for me. <laughs> and also Platinum is a really, really great game. And of course, the remakes of the Johto games. So that would be uh, Heart Gold, Soul Silver. At the time, I actually bought Soul Silver. But looking back on it, I kind of don't know why I never bought Heart Gold. <laughs> because I think Heart Gold is probably a little bit more true to the aesthetic, if you know what I'm saying. But, you know, we, we, we live and learn, we grow, we change. Um, and then one game from recent times in the Pokemon world that I think really, I mean, I'm not too familiar with its ratings per se, but I definitely think it's rather underrated based on the buzz of like the surrounding buzz uh, within the, my proximity would have to be Pokemon Legends Arceus. I really need more games to be be like Legends Arceus. I mean, Legends Arceus was not a perfect game, but it was it was definitely rough around the edges, but it introduced a type of just it had a it had a perspective which uh, you know, I think Pokemon games have, but because it was such a niche idea that Game Freak was tackling in Legends Arceus, it had a sense of perspective. And I and it and it really gave us a true glance into what an open world Pokemon game would be like. And it also happens to be a game that I, I streamed from when it came out to um, uh, for, from when it came out on my Twitch channel. I did the full playthrough on that. It was such a cute and and warm memorable time in my streaming career that I look back on, and it was such a special thing. And I just, I have such fond memories of playing that game. It was amazing. And I think that when we moved on to Scarlet Violet, we definitely took a few steps back uh, from some of the cool things that Legends Arceus had. But I recognize, you know, Legends Arceus is technically not a mainline game, even though, honestly, it kind of felt like one. But I digress. <laughs> so that's Pokemon overall. And Pokemon, you know, I've been a huge fan of the, the, the franchise for well over 20 years definitely at this point and it really is such a privilege and a pleasure to exist in the same timeline that Pokemon is relevant in this world. I think it's such an iconic series. We are well over a thousand Pokemon or you know for those of you that don't know what Pokemon is the creatures in the franchise we're well over a thousand at this point I believe and it's just so amazing how this franchise has impacted culture uh, in, in the gaming world and how it continues to persist and evolve. Um, it's so special to me and it's another really great example of a game that gave me an opportunity to express myself in, in, in a way that helped me escape the everyday. Um, and, I, and, and, and I think we'll definitely have an episode where we talk a little bit more about this but, uh, you know, you, you're probably sensing a common theme when it comes to video games and sort of what I look for in a game. I love any kind of RPG, but that's not to say that there aren't other games that I like that are in different genres. But um, yeah, Pokemon is so, so special to me. 
Uh, so I we talked about Maple Story Pokemon. What else do we have? Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. Okay. <laughs> so this one is a little bit niche, but um, back in the day, um, as a child, for those of you that, that don't know what it is, uh, dial-up internet. <laughs> back in the day when I was a wee young one, uh, you know, my parents, you know, I didn't come from money and my parents didn't necessarily have the money to buy me all the games that I wanted to play for my Game Boy. So what did I do? I downloaded an emulator um, because that's what I had at the time. And I would often look through the internet and I came across these sites where people had listed all of these games as downloadable and you can play them on the emulator. So what did I do? I downloaded my favorite games, Pokemon, uh, Kingdom Hearts, etc. And one of the days while I was looking at the catalog of the games that was um, on the site, I came across, and this is like a visual connection that I established, but I came across artwork, and this was artwork for Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. I came across the artwork for that game. And I remember thinking to myself, like, it was, it had like this airbrushed watercolor quality to the aesthetic. And it immediately spoke to me. It just kind of had this very ethereal kind of um, art style. And it immediately captivated me, ca captivated me and also just really spoke to me. And I didn't necessarily go what I know what I was going into, but I did see like screenshots of what the game looked like. And I thought, wow, this is, this is really cute. I want to try this. So I downloaded it. And the moment I, I tell you, the moment I started to play the game, I instantly fell in love. The premise of the game touches on, you know, getting lost in a world of magic and mythology and fantasy with looking for your friends. And there's just a lot of really interesting uh, fantasy-like ideas. There is uh, themes of betrayal, exploration, um, dreaming. It's just such a stunning iteration of the Final Fantasy series. And uh, it's such a unique one for its art style, for its uh, just a lot of things. But it really spoke to me because as a, as a kid, I was such a dreamer. So like, you know, I, I had a tendency to daydream and, and draw pictures and come up with ideas. And that was just sort of my way of existing and, and, and surviving. That was my way of rationalizing the real world was to, uh, was to use my fantasies and, um, turn them into some kind of reality that helped me cope with the world around me and you know that's why I guess I have such an appreciation for games like Final Fantasy no less tactics advance <laughs> and um it's just such a I mean if you have never played it I definitely recommend you give it a try um but it's such a great game and I played through it so many times uh and I I just love the lore so much there's just some really really amazing moments in that game and um, I just feel like it was a fate 
in a way almost. It was almost faded in some ways that I came across that game, Uh, especially not having access to, you know, not having the money to just buy any game I wanted as a kid. Uh, Had it not been for those emulators and ROMs, I probably would have never discovered like half of the games I know from Game Boy and, and, and so on. So, you know, it's just, um, it's a very niche game, but it definitely had a huge influence on the way that I perceive gaming, the way that I enjoy it. It taught me a lot about what I like, what I don't like. The music is so stunning. I love the score of that video game. And, um, yeah, it it had quite an impression on me, uh, as a young one and still to this day it does. So we also have on the list of my top video games, we also have, um, I mentioned Yu-Gi-Oh! Now, Yu-Gi-Oh! is an interesting one because I'm specifically referring to the uh, card game, but since we're talking about video games, I guess I can say the current iteration that mimics the actual card game in the most accurate way, I think, which uh, a lot of you know me for out there. And that is Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel, which is a a game, a video game that simulates a real card game, um, except instead of using physical cards, you're using them on the, uh, in the game. So um, uh, I've been playing Master Duel since it came out. It definitely needs work, but it is really the most accurate, diverse uh, version of the real life card game that we have to date. And it's so much fun. There is so many decks that you can build and um, we've enjoyed it so, so much over on my Twitch channel. And Yu-Gi-Oh, oh man, I mean, Yu-Gi-Oh would need an entire episode for us to adequately even begin to address why I love Yu-Gi-Oh so much. But um, even though, Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel, or I I guess I can say like the card game, doesn't necessarily fit traditionally the games that I usually seek out. It's definitely the aesthetic and inspiration of the card game. You know, it's, I I guess you can consider it strategy. Um, It's that, it's the inspiration that really speaks to me and why I fell in love with Yu-Gi-Oh! in the first place. Just like this idea that you can express yourself through a set of cards and use that expression of yourself through that deck to strategize against your opponent and potentially win or lose. To me, like, I mean, this kind of sounds pretentious, but I feel like it's almost poetic a little bit. I mean, that's what I think. And, um, it's just such a special game. And, um, I love the art. I love the different kinds of cards that there are in Yu-Gi-Oh! And I just don't think I will ever stop loving Yu-Gi-Oh! as much as I do. So, And on that note, rest in power to the king of Yu-Gi-Oh! The creator, Kazuki Takahashi. Um, he passed away last year. It was really devastating news. And um, the world will never be the same without him. He truly, truly left a an original, like just an amazing uh, franchise behind for us to enjoy. So, so far we've covered, I think, four. The next game I want to talk about is Animal Crossing. So, Animal Crossing 
is another one of those things where like it evokes a sense of like escape immersion you create like a second life for yourself in a way you customize a house an environment a character um and I actually kind of joined the Animal Crossing world a little bit late I didn't really play my first Animal Crossing game thoroughly until the 3DS Animal Crossing came out and I enjoyed that for quite some time (laughs) and then I kind of got preoccupied with Pokemon again on my 3DS Uh, And then subsequently, they came out with a mobile version. I think it's called Animal Crossing Pocket Camp, if I recall correctly. And I actually played that for quite a while. And I really, really enjoyed it. I kind of want to play it more often when I'm like on the go and I want something to quickly, you know, get uh, get my attention. Uh, But and then, of course, they came out with the Switch version, which I I can't remember if it's New Horizons or whatever it's called. Um, and I definitely played that one quite a bit, but then of course it fizzled out because I got busy. Um, but Animal Crossing is a really, really special franchise to me. It really takes the second life role-playing, uh, easy, cozy genre, but really puts a unique touch, a style perspective on it. Uh, especially with the characters, like all of the animal characters, their cute little voice lines, which you can barely understand a thing. It's just so iconic, so memorable, and just so great. So I love, 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 love Animal Crossing so much. Now, the next uh, game that I left for last, because it's not a game I would necessarily add to my list of favorites, but um, I would definitely have to say uh, Overwatch. And this one is very, very tricky because (laughs) I didn't really grow up playing, um, I guess, FPS games. They are truly, truly out of my element. Not the kind of game I would ever, ever, ever think or see myself playing. But Overwatch, I think, and that's exactly why I added Overwatch to this list because it's the first game that truly made me appreciate the FPS genre because it does it in a way that's not just modern, but again, I used this word earlier, has a perspective about it. It has a unique art style, characters, uh, background story, lore. Um, and it's not just that sort of, I guess you can say, army militant military aesthetic it kind of evolves past that and so I'm very visual obviously with a video game if it looks visually appealing or captivating I'm going to want to play it and so when Overwatch came out you know I heard about it through some friends and I thought you know what I have to play this (laughs) so what did I do back then Um, I paid for it I downloaded it and I played with um, a couple of friends that I know online and I enjoyed it so, so much, even though I'm not good at Overwatch. (laughs) I'm not good at Overwatch at all. But the key thing is that I actually just really love playing it. Um, And I've gotten a lot better over the years, but I definitely have a long way to go. But it's it's a special game because um, it is truly the first game that made me appreciate and, and genuinely enjoy the FPS genre for what it's worth. Uh, so I really, really like Overwatch. It's, it's a great game. And, and Overwatch 2 is out now. And that's what I've been playing. 
Um, and so, yeah, those are, those I would say are the top games that I can think of that are perhaps the most notable throughout time for me. Um, I have a tendency to really focus on a, a f- one franchise at a time or two major games at a time, and they usually take up really, really big time frames in the, in the, in the grand timelines, which is why I can't really name a top 10 per se. But um, hopefully that answered your question. So thank you again, Diet, for your question. And speaking of Yu-Gi-Oh! earlier... <laughs> That leads me to my next question, which is from Subaru. Thank you so much for your question. Uh, what is my favorite Yu-Gi-Oh! saga? So if you're watching and you keep hearing about Yu-Gi-Oh! and you're wondering like, well, why, <laughs> why is Yu-Gi-Oh! such a prominent topic? Well, I stream a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! over on my Twitch channel and, um, like I mentioned, it's a very special franchise to me. It was um, just such a unique uh, franchise for me growing up. And I really had such an appreciation for it and continue to to this day. But um, to answer your question, Subaru, definitely I would say the Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters um, original arc or saga. <laughs> I would definitely say the original Duel Monsters saga only because it had the biggest impression on me uh, as a young person. And also, I think it just, it's the most true to, I guess, Kazuki Takahashi's vision or inspiration. The ancient Egyptian lore, the mystique, the esoteric, the, um, you know, the, that eeriness it really combines all of that into one unique vision. And when I say that it had such an impression on me, um, it inspired a lot of my music. It inspired a lot of my creativity. Um, it definitely had like a huge impression on me. And um, it's not to say that these spinoffs are not good. Um, I just don't think that based on what I've seen, they don't really evoke what I think the original concept evokes with that, you know, ancient Egyptian inspiration and such. And, you know, after the battle city arc in the, in the show is when I started to strictly watch the Japanese version with English subs, uh, back when there was only dial, dial up internet. <laughs> so, um, it, and I, and I think that's important to mention because, you know, the Japanese version of the show is what had the impression on me. That's what, that's the um, sort of, I just think it's, in, I think it's, it, it's imperative to uh, distinguish the Japanese from the four kids sanitized English version because the English version definitely sanitized a lot of elements to fit a younger audience here in the United States. You know, the removal of like religious symbols covering up characters that are like semi-nude or whatever um but yeah they definitely toyed with a lot of story elements and didn't necessarily translate some things in a way that I think are you know necessary for the progression of the story um but there are a lot of really profound themes in the original uh storyline and progression of the story 
in Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters that really just affected me and, and really spoke to me um, when I was growing up. So uh, Duel Monsters has such a special place in my heart. And um, yeah, so I would say Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters. <laughs> uh, the next question is from Dao. Thank you so much for your question, Dao. I really appreciate it. What is my favorite animal? Ooh, <laughs> this is actually a really, really good question. And I am excited to answer because I have a perfect answer for you. Um, the most consistent favorite animal, I mean, it has changed a lot throughout life, but the one that's remained the most consistent is the gazelle. And this, I mean, I'm Arabic, Mediterranean, and um, it's not just because of that, of course, but the gazelle is a very prominent animal in the world of, you know, Arabic uh, poetry, mythology, stuff like that. Um, and it's such a mystical animal to me. It has like a very svelte, uh, elegant, um, uh, majestic quality to it. And when I look at that animal, I just like connect with it. I, I, I can't put my finger, I mean, I can put my finger on it and maybe give you reasons like I just, I could describe the animal and what I like so much about it. But um, it's, yeah, nimble, elegant, beautiful, um, mysterious in my opinion. And it evokes beauty and I love that. So I've always, always loved the gazelle. It's such a stunning animal. Uh, truly. I love it so much. So yeah, um, there are other animals that I like too, but I definitely like, I like, I like jellyfish, but I guess that's, I don't know. Would you still consider that an animal? I'm not sure. Um, cause isn't there like a, a, a difference animal versus like, ma no mammal. I don't know, whatever, but I like jellyfish. I like snakes. Um, and yeah, but gazelle would be my favorite. <laughs> Uh, the next question is from Ruskin. Thank you, Ruskin, for your question. Uh, Ruskin asks, what are my favorite foods to eat uh, and cook? So the general three categories of foods, like in terms of like cultural cuisine that I enjoy eating, would definitely be um, Italian, not in any particular order, Italian, Japanese, and Arabic food. Now, Arabic food is what I grew up with, so I have a lot more familiarity with the food, but I still continue to really enjoy it because truly Arabic cuisine is just, to me, on another level. If you've never, and, and Arabic cuisine is a very broad term, obviously, because there's all kinds of Arabic cuisine. I mean, are we talking Palestinian? Are we talking uh, Syrian? Are we talking, what kind of Arabic food are we talking? So... <laughs> It's definitely a difference. Egyptian, I mean, I could go into details, but Arabic food's really great. Japanese food, I love Japanese food. I've been to Japan a few times, and um, I love all kinds of Japanese food. Um, and Italian food, of course. I mean, that's just such a given. Uh, all kinds of pasta. Uh, just love, love, love Italian food. So, uh, but my favorite, favorite, favorite foods... Uh, or food to cook slash eat would definitely be the Japanese Hokkaido soup curry, which is kind of like a, what it is, what, what, what it sounds like, like a, like a soupy curry that has, um, it's very hearty 
Uh, it has like carrots, potatoes, lotus root, um, usually hard boiled eggs, sometimes quail eggs, and a choice of protein. So like for me, I like chicken in mine. And it's usually served with like a like a, a yellow rice from how I have it when I go to Japan. And um, it's just so, so, so good, especially, especially during the winter. And this is one of the reasons why it's so special over there, because it is such a dense, hearty, nutrient-rich meal. It will fill you up and warm you up because it's like a hot soup. So Japanese Hokkaido soup curry is just the best. Like it's my absolute favorite dish ever, 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 ever. <laughs> so that that's my favorite. That's my favorite food. And thank you for your question. Um, the next question. Ooh, I love this. <laughs> You guys have the best questions. I, I really, really love your questions so much. Uh, Azure, thank you for your question, asks, if you could live and build your own home and streaming studio anywhere, where would it be and why? So I mentioned that I've been to Japan several times. So I would definitely say um, it would have to be uh, northern Japan, Hokkaido area. It would be such an honor to be able to have a studio for my music or just other creative needs up there um and japan <laughs> is a topic that needs its own episode for sure but um i have such a connection and a passion and love for not just japan as a whole but specifically for northern japan it's the place that i uh, frequent the most when i go back to japan uh to relax and and regain my sense of self, <laughs> um, but it would definitely have to be Northern Japan, uh, Hokkaido. Yeah. Uh, and I would just love to have either, whether it's a studio, a home, both, whatever. I mean, it's just my favorite place in the whole world. So yeah. Thank you for your question, Azure. Uh, the next question. Ooh, this is a, Ooh, <laughs> this one is definitely like a deeper question. Um, but it's a really, really good question. And this question comes from Max. Thank you so much for your, uh, for your submission. Uh, Max asks, what was your turning point that made you want to start streaming? And how has it changed you as a person? Wow. Um, where do I begin with this one? So around the time that I decided to start streaming, and I think, you know, this is also something that can be visited in more detail at another time. But um, I was coming out of a, a very depressive period in my life. And um, even though it was a very depressive period, I was just really getting sick and tired of constantly being in this state of depression that I just felt so dull and I felt so disconnected and I felt so... Um, disassociated from the entire world like I I didn't connect to anyone I could barely connect to myself I had no sense of perspective I didn't really want to talk to anyone um, and I just got really sick and tired of feeling that way and it was I guess you can say the calm after the storm kind of depression where I had just been through so many bumps in the road in my life up until that point and I was really sick and tired of feeling so 
uh, just hurt and numb and, and, uh, and sort of, I guess you can say, what's the best word to describe it? More like, um, just so disconnected. And I've, while I was very depressed and while my feelings are valid or were valid, uh, I recognized that I could, I still had the power to make or break how much my mental state had control over what I was capable of doing or not doing. And one of the things that were common denominators in my life of what was able to help me navigate those hardships. And I'm speaking in very general terms because I want to save the, the, the dark stuff for maybe another episode. But um, the common denominator of what really helped me navigate a lot of my hardships was the uh, escape of being able to play video games. And um, I was just, you know, wanting to express myself in a way that could stimulate healing or give me maybe a new perspective on how I can move forward in life. And I know that sounds kind of corny, but it's true. It's literally kind of the the summary of why I eventually did what I wanted to do on stream. And I didn't really have much of a plan for it. I just really wanted to do something fresh. And I'm a very, I would say I'm a pretty creative person. So streaming what just kind of came naturally to me, not you know, not like I was, you know, hosting some kind of grand show or anything like that. But, you know, I think the difference between why I didn't just go and play a video game and versus like why I went to go stream was even though I felt so depressed and and disconnected from the world, I think the difference between the around the time when I started streaming versus times before was that I even though I was so depressed, I had such a solid sense of who I am. And I think that knowing who you are, what your beliefs are, uh, having stories to tell to help others, you know, the more you know yourself, um, or I should say rather, knowing yourself so much can really open up your ability to do so many different kinds of things, uh, whether that could be music, content creation, art, whatever. It gives you a sense of unique perspective that is unique to you and relative to you and your experiences. And so I figured, you know, if I love playing games and it feels healing for me and it helps me sort of like mend or remedy my emotions uh maybe it would be even more healing to bring that to other people and perhaps cultivate like a healing environment something that is more collaborative and something that could potentially ignite more enjoyment than just enjoyment that I would have playing video games on my own it was just a very natural inclination And I just sort of went with the flow. I didn't question it too much. And I just felt like 
that was what I needed to do pretty much. And what was so magical about what the tr- that turning point, as you phrase it, Max, was that <laughs> when I started streaming, it was the, the, the eve of New Year's 2021. It was literally the night of New Year's Eve before the clock hit midnight into 2022. And I remember I was quiet. (laughs) I just turned my camera on. I had my software to stream my Switch. And I started off by streaming Pokemon Brilliant Diamond. And I just sat there that night playing. And eventually, you know, um, people came in. And we started to have these really great conversations. And we connected. And I felt... A sense of community. I felt a sense of love. I felt something that I had never felt before. And it just proved that my instincts about what I was seeking out for myself was truly beneficial for me. And I mean, obviously, and this is a huge blessing, that has evolved into a much different picture now, obviously. But I think it still stands true that that sense of community really helped me in ways I never thought was possible or at least on the in the degree that it has helped me but that was really what the turning point was I just was really tired of being so sad and so numb and um, I just wanted to find a way out I really just wanted to find a way out I really wanted to I wanted to move forward I wanted to feel alive again And, you know, I was even starting to lose hope and just temporarily remedying, you know, my feelings through video games. And that's why I had the idea of, you know, venturing out and uh, sharing that love of immersion, immersing myself into a video game and escaping into a different world, taking that a step further and then sharing it with other people also. So that was really what the turning point was for me. And it's such just such a blessing to sit here today and even have the privilege of being able to reminisce and talk about it. It is one of the most magical things that I can really reflect on and look back on. And it's just been such an amazing journey um, to get to this point. So... Yeah, <laughs> this that was a really, really good question. I really appreciate the uh, the thoughtfulness behind that. That's um, because it, it, I really, I mean, I have a very, very real answer. I mean, it was, uh, I was just really over everything and I really wanted to cultivate something new uh, for my own healing, but also using what I've learned through my own traumas to also share that love of gaming and share that, you know, venture, that the adventure into other worlds and video games with other people to take that healing to a whole other level. And um, it's just been the most magical experience, truly, truly. So thank you again, Max. That was a great question. Uh, Dasachi, thank you so much for your question. Dasachi has a couple of questions, questions actually, it seems. Um, he asks, what is the stupidest thing you've ever done 
And also, what is your love language? Now, these are both really good questions. The first one, and I'm laughing because it, um, I'm laughing because it is such a silly story, but it is quite stupid also. I mean, we all make mistakes. But the first one is, um, what's the stupidest thing I've ever done? Well, <laughs> once upon a time, I used to live on the upper story, like the second story to a condo building. So I lived on the condo on the upper level years, like a long, long, long time ago. And I shared the condo with a roommate. And I'm a pretty private person. And thank God I don't have to deal with that kind of stuff anymore. But um, I would routinely lock my room when I would leave the house for work or for school or whatever it was that I was leaving the house for. And, oh man, I mean, oh my God, this is truly just some wild shit. I mean, I'm not even kidding. So one of the mornings that I was heading to work, I, you know, was shuffling around, really focusing my energy so that I wouldn't be late, so that I can make sure that I'm, you know, just on time, I'm together, I've got everything that I need. And in the shuffle of focusing on getting out of the house and getting ready for work, I realized, so what happened was I locked my room door and the lock, you know, I, I, I turned the lock to, to lock it from the, from the inside of my room, that, that side of the door, I locked it. And so I stepped out, closed the door. I had my bag and when I got out of the house at the front door, I was thinking to go ahead and lock the front door because I was leaving the house for the day. And as I realized that, I'm looking for my keys and I realize I don't have my keys. And, and my keys to not just my personal room, the, the front door of the house, but also it, those keys were on the same key ring as my car keys. So in that moment, I realized that I didn't have my keys and that I had locked myself out of my room, which had my car keys and all of the other keys in there with it. So it was very, very scary because I had realized in that moment, I wasn't going to be able to get back into my room. Number one. Number two, I wasn't going to be able to lock the front door to the house or the condo, whatever. And number three, I wasn't going to be able to get in my car and go to work. <laughs> and I'm sitting here panicking. Like my heart rate shot up so quickly and I got so scared. Like, oh my God, I'm going to be late to work. How am I going to get back into my room? Do I call a locksmith? Do I just ignore all of this and call an Uber and worry about it later? I mean, my mind was racing so, so much in that moment. And here is where the especially stupid part comes in. But given the circumstance, it was necessary for me putting that disclaimer out there. <laughs> because if you're listening, I'm just putting this out there. Please do not attempt what I'm about to say. It's extremely dangerous and you will get hurt if you do it. So please do not imitate this behavior or or do this. Please, 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 please. Um, so... I realized that 
my the window to my room faced the side of the condo that was on the same side like like it faced you know my my window obviously it faces um it's on one of the sides of the condo right but my window to my room was on the side that the front door of the condo was so basically when you're standing on the stairs to your right you look at that the side of the condo and you see a big window further down that window was the window to my room and I realized that I don't remember or I didn't remember in that moment locking there was like a latch to the window and my window was had some issues there was no screen to the window so it was just like literally a window and if you open it it's just access right into my room <laughs> why I never addressed it and got some extra protection for the room uh, like in addition to the actual like closing and like the actual window door I couldn't tell you but I realized that I did not lock the latch to my bedroom window and so I realized in that moment, if I can somehow access the window, um, reach it, I can push the window and it will slide open because I never locked, locked it by pushing the latch down. So this is where the stupid part comes in. I decided, I guess, because I really couldn't think of anything that had the, a more immediate uh, result in that moment that didn't require me spending copious amounts of money. I climbed on the rail of the stairs on the upper level, like the stairs that led to the condo on the outside. Um, I climbed onto the rail that was of the stairs closest to the front door and step like had one leg on the rail and then lunged with my other leg onto the I guess sill would would you call it a sill like the window sill of the window to my bedroom and you can probably already imagine how dangerous this is I mean if I fell I would have retained some god forbid some really really serious serious injuries <laughs> um god forbid and you know, the, the funny thing about this is I remember I was attempting this at like eight in the morning and there were neighbors outside just staring at me doing the stupid, stupid stunt, not even commenting on it because, you know, why would they, right? Someone's about to do something stupid to themselves. So why don't I just stand there and watch them do it? And so, yeah, I, I lunged to the window sill with my, with my front, with my, with my right leg and um I just the moment I had one foot one leg on the rail and I was almost doing the splits to literally reach the window um and my right leg on the windowsill and then I used my force to push myself forward and and push the window open with my with my arm slide it open and it opened and I held on to the window and the moment I saw that I had access, I jumped into my room. And because the thing is, is while I recognize that this was really stupid, because had I fallen and it was really by the grace of God that I did not fall, 
<laughs> because if you looked at how thin that rail was and how thin the windowsill was, I mean, that could have been an absolute disaster. Like when I tell you, like this could have been such a, like it could have been so many things, but thank God it was not. Um, but I just, you know, I was worried about getting in trouble in work. I was worried about having to call a locksmith and pay them like a lot of money. Um, I just, so many things went through my mind in that moment and I just wanted a quick solution and I was panicking, <laughs> but thank God I was not hurt. I maybe a little bit of dirt on my pants. Um, and I just, I made it work. I was a ninja in that moment and I had to do what had to be done. So, <laughs> uh, solutions, you know, but it was definitely a really stupid thing that I did because I mean, like I said, it could have gone so many other ways and thank God it did not. Uh, the other answer, the uh, other question that Desachi had was what is my love language? Now this one, I have a very straightforward answer for it, and that is quality time. Quality time is my love language. I like to receive quality time. I like to give quality time. Time is the most valuable thing that we have in this world. It's a constant. It always keeps on going. And when someone goes, someone that I like goes out of their way, doesn't matter. It could be romantic, non-romantic. When someone I appreciate and like goes out of their way to thoughtfully, again, emphasis on quality, uh, to thoughtfully spend time with me, um, it really means so much to me. I really have an appreciation for being able to connect with people like one-on-one. -on -one. And so I, I just really, really love being able to connect with people on an intimate level that way. And again, when I say intimate, I don't mean romantic specifically, but just it's, yeah, just having like that quality one-on-one -on -one time. Um, and I love to do that for others when I'm able to as well. So quality time, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's funny because love language is a phrase I didn't really start hearing a lot until like recent years, I didn't know that was like a thing that was like measured, I suppose, but it makes sense. So uh, thank you for your question, Desachi. Um, let's see. So the next question is from AJ. Now, this is a really great question. What are some things you have always wanted to do, but have not gotten the chance to do them yet? So this one is pretty easy too. I mean, there, there are so many things I could get into, but the one that immediately comes to my mind because it's the most relevant to what I do nowadays for the world of Arrowheart is play a show. <laughs> I just, um, I could have played a show a long, long time ago, but I chose not to. Um, I mean, I'm very shy. That's definitely a factor um, because playing a show is just not something I've really afforded myself the time like the opportunity to uh play with and learn from but I just have not yet felt that it has been the right moment to play a show but I've always always wanted to um play a proper show with my music and perform for uh, people who want to hear it I just have such an appreciation for live music and just the art of performing that music and portraying it in a live um reimagined way so um and hopefully that will happen soon 
you never know. <laughs> so yeah, definitely playing a show is the one that uh, immediately comes to my mind. So thank you for your question. Uh, Snakes, thank you for your question also asks, since one of your favorite places to visit is Japan, uh, what is one thing that you must do when you visit? So I could go into so many things. I mean, there are several things that I have to do when I visit Japan, but I will give you, I mean, it sounds like you're looking probably for like a unique, specific, quirky kind of activity that I have to do when I get there. And this one is especially kind of silly, but it, it is very special to me. <laughs> um, the moment that I land in Japan, I have to hit up Mr. Donut. Now, Mr. Donut is a very well-known franchise of donut cafes all throughout Japan. And, you know, Japanese donuts for me... <laughs> They hit different. I mean, American donuts are great, but they're very, very sweet. Japanese donuts are obviously sweet too, but the variety that Mr. Donut has is truly just unmatched. Like the variety is insane and so fun and just so many flavors. And I just, I love the feeling of landing in Tokyo and I could be in any other city. I mean, when I'm in Hokkaido, I will go to Mr. Donut routinely. I love going there early in the morning and finding a table to sit at in my solitude, have my donut, a coffee or a tea, and just really take in the ambiance and the atmosphere. And mind you, there's not really much of an ambiance, but to me there is. Um, <laughs> I guess that's what happens when you feel particularly connected to a place. You know, it 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 means something to you in, in your own kind of, you know, what special way. But um, I have to stop at Mr. Donut. I have to get my donut and I have to get my tea or my coffee or whatever it is that I feel like getting from there. And um, sometimes I will have my laptop with me. I'm doing some planning. I'm doing some, some like, you know, uh, figuring out, planning stuff, just whatever I'm doing. But Mr. Donut is an absolute constant. It's just the best. And who knows, maybe I'll like vlog it or film it for you guys one of these days when I go back, <laughs> which will hopefully be sooner than later. But um, yeah, love you, Mr. Donut. <laughs> Thank you, snakes. Um, the next question is from Ghost Nomad. So on the note of, uh, on, on the topic of Japan, and thank you again, Ghost, for your question. Uh, Ghost asks, what is a specific memory or place in Hokkaido uh, that makes you smile? Ooh. I have such an answer for you guys when it comes to this question. So this is a bit of like a story time and I'm going to try to summarize it, you know, in the most succinct way. Um, as I alluded to and mentioned earlier, my absolute favorite place in the entire world is northern Japan, Hokkaido. Um, and my favorite city in the whole world is Sapporo, Japan. Um, you know, like the beer, Sapporo. <laughs> uh, and during my most recent trip to Japan actually is where this memory is from. I was in the process of wrapping up 
um, my stay in Sapporo before moving on to the next thing on my list, which was I was going to be going to a cabin for something different. And um, it was still in Hokkaido, but it was not in Sapporo. And I knew that, that it was coming up, but I didn't think much of it until the day of. And But even the morning that I was packing and getting ready to head out of Sapporo, I was actually going to be driving myself uh, with my rental. And yes, I do drive when I go to Japan. Um, and I thought, and I thought, you know what? Wow, like I'm leaving today from Sapporo. And I, you know, I realized that morning that I was packing my stuff to head to a different spot in Hokkaido that I wasn't going to be back for that trip. Like that was going to be my, my last time being in Sapporo until I come back to Japan another time. And I was, you know, initially I was kind of like, oh, well, that really sucks. I'm going to be so sad. But I, I even then I kind of glossed over it and didn't really think much of it. And then it hit me <laughs> later in the evening after I wrapped up a bunch of errands. I did a couple of things. I was packed up, ready to go. I got in my rental car. And as I was driving away, I was turning a corner. And I caught a glimpse of, and, and really this speaks to, this really kind of, touches in a way on why Sapporo is like or of of Sapporo being my favorite city in the whole world uh, for a variety of reasons but the biggest reason being just a sentimental special connection you know we can all explain why our favorite cities and places are our favorite places but while I can explain why I love Sapporo so much it's just an un just indescribable thing it's just a place that I feel so peaceful I feel like I could disappear forever and be completely fine in Sapporo like it just I don't know I just I it's something I can feel in the air I I, I don't know what it is <laughs> um but I remember the evening that I was I got in my car and I was I turned a corner to get on the road so and, and start going on my 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 route uh, to leave Sapporo, I caught a glimpse of the side of this big of the big building that is the Sapporo train station, um, and it's such a recognizable building because I've been there many times, <laughs> um, and it immediately struck me all at once. I started to tear up. I randomly thought of the Mr. Donut inside of the station. <laughs> like immediately, like I was just thinking of all these things that made me so like, that would always make me feel so comforted and cozy. And I, and I just started, I had this like sinking, impending feeling of doom almost. And I was like, whoa, like, I'm not going to be back here until the next time I come back to Japan. Um, and it just, I felt like I had unfinished business in Sapporo. And I know that sounds very dramatic because I always go back to Japan. That's like a, that's like an absolute given, like common denominator will happen no matter what. But I, 
yeah, I just felt like unresolved. I felt unfinished. I felt like a disturbance in the force because I was leaving and not resolving that feeling that I had. But I kind of just brushed it off as, you know, you're just being a crybaby because you love Hokkaido, you love Sapporo, and you're just upset and you just get over it and you'll be fine. So I drove like two hours to the next spot and, it, and mind you, it was winter and it got dark really early and I drove like two hours through the, through the, um, uh, highway, which is like through a bunch of mountains and it was so snowy and the, the highway on the road to my next town that I was going to was like glossed over by ice and snow buildup. So it was quite a journey to go from Sapporo to the next spot that I was going to. And, um, but it was a fun drive. Like I love driving. I love driving so much and I love driving in Japan. I like to get my rental car and just like go on an adventure. And it was such a special drive, but this story made it all the more special because when I got to the cabin, when I finally arrived to the next spot, I was unpacking and I felt so scared (laughs) and not, you would think it's because I'm in a cabin in the forest But no, I was scared because I felt so vulnerable, uh, more so because I felt so unresolved about having turned my back in a, you know, figurative sense, or I guess literally also (laughs) uh, having turned my back on Sapporo. And I immediately began, I started crying. Like I actually started to cry. I felt really upset. I felt like, I, I felt like my feelings were hurt almost Uh, And I don't know why I'm like this. It's just, you know, when you find a place, like I was mentioning earlier, when you find a place in the world that is this special to you, you, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, And so I immediately started crying. And this is the, the essence of what makes this memory so special for me is that I decided, uh, through my emotion, of course, (laughs) um, I decided to put a pause on my plans that evening and I grabbed my bag. I got ready and dressed up, uh, literally within an hour after arriving, I got my bag. I got my stuff. I got dressed up, walked out of the cabin, locked it, got in my rental car and drove two hours back to Sapporo that same night to, I guess, go and resolve my feelings and my emotions. And I literally did that. I kid you not. I paid for gas. I went all the way back and I literally drove all the way back to Sapporo from where I was through the highway, through the mountains in the middle of the dead night. Well, not dead night. I mean, it was still in the evening. I just like, I did not waste time. I wanted to get back to Sapporo so I can still catch a glimpse of something, do something, just make myself feel better before I had to continue on. So when I got back to Sapporo, I parked my car. I went to, um, I went to a, uh, I went shopping. I went to a couple of stores. I even went to um, a little like museum factory area and I just had a really, really great night. And when I finally did, I can get into that, the details, but the idea is 
I resolved it. I made myself feel better. <laughs> and that uh, it's su such a fond memory for me because I, it was a time where I really prioritized my feelings and my emotions and did something that was necessary for me to feel better. And I don't have the best track record of treating myself that way. And so, um, like it, I could cry thinking about it, but it was just such a special memory that I have and I'll never forget it. And I just, I love Sapporo so, so much. So, um, yeah, I made it happen. And then I drove another two hours back to the cabin <laughs> and moved on with, it, with my trip. Obviously, I was sad to leave, but um, I was happy. I felt much better than I did when I initially had to, to go from Sapporo to the cabin in, in this other part of Hokkaido. But um, really, really special memory in my heart. And I, I can't wait to go back. So thank you, Gus, for your question. Uh, the next question is from Peace, and Peace asks, uh, can we please get a P.O. box so that we can send chalky and stuff to our favorite streamer? Yes, I do have a P.O. box, and the information for my P.O. box will be in the description of the YouTube video uh, if you're watching on YouTube. Um, it will also be on my about or bio section on Twitch, and it's also in the Discord in the announcement section. Uh, so feel free if you want to use it. I am more than happy for you to do it. That's why I made one <laughs> through all of you asking me to bring you a P.O. box. So um, that's a great question. And also a great question to close all of this out. Um, I want to say thank you again to everyone that submitted your questions, uh, that submitted questions rather. Um, and remember, if you want to send questions, I do plan on answering more uh, but in, in a shorter form, since we'll be filling other episodes with bigger topics. Um, if you ever want to have a question answered, you want to ask, or you want advice, you can send an email over to heartstrings at eruheart.com, or you can ask your question publicly in the Q&A channel under the Heartstrings category of our Discord server. And all of those links will be in the description uh, wherever it's applicable, if wherever you're watching or listening, if it's, if there's space for it. So yeah. And, um, on that note, uh, I think this is, uh, a great way to close out our first episode. I want to say thank you to everyone for supporting, uh, this effort and being so enthusiastic and excited. I'm so happy to finally bring this show to you all. Um, if you're listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, and uh, stay tuned for so many more episodes and much spicier topics to come. If you are watching on YouTube, please, please uh, don't be shy and hit the subscribe button. Uh, like, thumbs up, uh, and uh, hit the bell button uh, for notifications so you can get notified every time there's a new upload. If you're on Spotify, please uh, don't be afraid to follow also. <laughs> uh, leave a review on the podcast and tell me what you think. Um, and I hope you guys enjoyed. And uh, until next time, thank you so much. Bye.